everybody, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden and Andy Larson. All right, everyone, welcome into the How About This Jazz podcast. I'm Andy Larson here alongside Eric Walden. Uh, we are the Utah Jazz beat writers for the Salt Lake Tribune. I just arrived back in Salt Lake City uh, from the Jazz's three-game road trip in Atlanta, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. I uh, was also previous on uh, on the road trip before that, where we joined you in the last podcast. But, um, you know, so we got a couple new uh, things to talk about with the Jazz, kind of a, a largening of the sample size, if you will, this team it's still been really good, and yet, you know, I, I think there's still kind of, oh, okay, we're trying to figure out, again, the big overriding question of the season, even with the Jazz playing as well as they have, is which of these players, which three to five of these players is going to be part of the next contending Jazz team? And so I think we kind of want to get into some of the things that we've seen from the players in recent games and, you know, kind of decide whether or not we're worried about them or not. Sound good, Eric? It does sound good. The only thing that didn't sound good about that was you using the word largening, which I'm still kind of fixated <laughs> upon. Uh, um, words are meant to be invented. And if I agree, I them, actually agree with that. So. No, I, I'm all for making up words. Um, I, I, I guess I shouldn't have called you out on that. I should have praised you for that. Um, you. <laughs> I'm all for expanding our lexicons, even up to and including uh, the creation of words that otherwise don't exist in the English language. So Great. at any rate, your bigger point, yes, I'm all for it. Let's get to it. I believe we are discussing uh, three players in particular today. Yeah, I, I'd like to let's let's talk first. Uh, let's talk first about Jared Vanderbilt, I think. You know, I, I think he really is maybe the bedrock of the identity of this team in terms of like Will Hardy's idea of uh, creating as much outcome, a positive outcome as you can through chaos, right? It's I don't even want to call it managed chaos. That's not what it is. The Jazz are just very chaotic and try to be teams in, in the framework of that of that chaos. Um, and Jared Vanderbilt is the guy that like represents that more than anybody. He is going after loose balls. He is challenging uh, shots in, in weird ways. You know, he's not a super skilled player. He gets out in transition. He's blocking shots, you know, like all this kind of stuff. He gets a ton of steals. All this kind of stuff that you, uh, you know, I, I think really want um, you, you want the Jazz to represent, especially this version of the Jazz. And yet, that being said, he actually has the lowest plus minus on the team. Um, now, you know, we're only 13 games into the Jared Vanderbilt experience, but um, I, I do think there's something there. And, you know, again, watching these teams play and especially watching the Jazz play against the Philadelphia 76ers. They were able to have Joel Embiid sink off of Jared Vanderbilt, completely ignore him on the defensive end, and then, you know, have him available for every single rim shot, which meant that he had seven blocks in the game. So, um, and then, you know, offensively, obviously the three-point shooting is further along than we thought, and yet he's only hitting half of a three a game, right? And, and so it's just not a place where opponents are worried about the three-point shooting. The The rim finishing, I think, is also a question mark. Um, and so, you know, you, you kind of wonder, hey, you know, where is this 23-year-old kid um, in terms of kind of in, in, in terms of his development? And really, I'm thinking, again, part of the next good Jazz playoff team, how do playoff teams take advantage of these strengths and weaknesses? 
And I think it's a little bit hard to see how, I guess it's not hard to see. I guess it's, uh, I, I think some of these weaknesses would be more exposed in a playoff situation. Yeah, uh, it really is interesting that he has the lowest plus minus on the team, just because, as you mentioned, like he was perceived to be kind of the embodiment of this team's, you know, chaotic persona, if you will. Um, and yet you look at this recently completed three game road trip. Uh, he was a minus four against the Hawks. He was a minus 12 against Washington in which he played 17 and a half minutes and not because of foul trouble, which has been kind of his uh, issue for much of the season. He had two fouls in that game. They just, you know, Will decided not to play him because he wasn't playing well. And then uh, he plays 24 minutes against the Sixers and is a minus 17 in that game. So, um, yeah, I mean, all those things that you mentioned, like, uh, he just has so many deficiencies to his game right now and and particular you know especially on the offensive end defensively you and i discussed this when you know that trade was first made and when he arrived and and kind of the perception of him as a defender versus the reality of him as a defender where he had this great reputation you know as being this incredibly switchable you know positionless defender um and then we kind of looked at you know the numbers and and what those entail and granted, like defensive metrics are still, um, you know, they, they don't tell a perfect story, but we were a little concerned when we looked into those a little a little more in depth that he wasn't quite the stopper that he was being portrayed to be. And so well, I, 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 combined... okay. who would you say was portraying him as a stopper? I mean, I, I guess I would say that like in some of the lazier trade narratives, that was the portrayal. But I don't even think like. Minnesota Timberwolves fans were calling him a stopper by any means. He was, you know, he's he's an energy guy. Yeah. Okay, stoppers may be like a little hyperbolic, I suppose, but there there nevertheless was a reputation of him being like an up and coming and ascending like kind of defense oriented guy who yes, is mostly an energy guy and that's what we've seen him be uh here in Utah, but um yeah, Un until or unless there becomes more uh, offensive acumen there, he's just going to be incredibly limited. And we know he's working hard on it, right? Like in the portion of shoot around that was open today, like literally all I saw him working on were those three pointers from the right corner. So like he is trying to get, you know, more adept at it and he is doing better at it this season than he has previously, but um, as you mentioned, you know, half a made three per game is not going to be enough to dissuade opponents from, you know, continually sagging off of him. Um, he made those two threes against New Orleans in the third game of the season and then, um, you know, has never made more than one in a game since then. Um, you know, there's there's no reason for opponents to consistently pay attention to him defensively. And until that changes, he's just going to be limited and, and he's going to be, you know, I still am somewhat surprised that he's the biggest negative plus minus on the team. But, you know, I guess when you view it through that prism, it's it's not that big a surprise, I suppose. Yeah. And, and you know, I think this is where you get into, like, essentially his contractual status. And, and obviously he's a bargain at making four and a half million dollars a year. He's signed through next season as well. And that's where you're like, okay, look, he's 23 uh, right now. We're giving him two full years to 
make significant improvements in his game and show that he can add secondary skills. You know, whether that's the P.J. Tucker three-point shot or whether that's, uh, you know, whatever it is to become more of an offensive threat. Um, and, and also, frankly, I think a little bit more responsible on the defensive end, too. Again, you look at the defensive stats and they're not great. Um and, and because he's only 23, you know, you say, okay, if you are still this when you're 25, then, you know, yeah, we have real questions about whether or not you can be like a starter on a playoff team. But you have two really good seasons where you're going to have, uh, you know, average 24 to 30 minutes a night, um, and you're going to have the chance to develop. And, I, I, you know, I think he's a kid who works hard. I think he's a kid who's got the right mindset. I think he's got an incredibly valuable skill in that Dennis Rodman-esque ability to get to the ball before anybody else. And so you, you, there's kind of a lot to build on there. And I, I think that's kind of like how we can frame the, the ongoing conversation about Jared Vanderbilt is just, you know, if he can get to a higher point by the time he's 25, by the time you have to make a contractual decision on him, um, then, you know, that's, then you, you know, if again, what kind of role he can play as if, because, you know, I, I think if he is, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that he can, he could be a starter on a playoff team right now with this skill set because he would take away from your your spacing to such a huge degree. Um, but if if he can improve by then, you know, then you can say, hey, he might be able to be a starter on a playoff team, or you know, maybe he's more of a eighth man or a situational energy guy, and you know, then you're you're looking at giving him five million a year rather than you know fifteen, twenty, twenty five. Right. Yep. I agree with that. Let's move on to Mike Conley, who I think has had a couple of interesting games in a row. Uh, one of seven against Atlanta, one of eight against the Sixers. Both games uh, only scored three points, but both games was also the primary facilitator for the Jazz, uh, with 10 assists and eight assists, respectively. Uh, also, you know, I, I think it's worth noting that the plus minuses for Conley in both of those games were pretty bad as well. Um, you know, I, I think this is some of what we saw from Mike Conley at the end of the season. And so, again, it's just can if he can consistently get the three to go down and consistently get the floater to go down, obviously he's a really, really good point guard. And if he's not, then he becomes a little bit of a one-trick pony. You know, like I, I do think the passing is is really valuable and, and that, uh, you know, credit for him to, for kind of remaking himself as a pass-first point guard recently. Um, this season, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, uh, you know, he. this is the most assists he's ever averaged in his career. Um, but, yeah, you know, again, if the Jazz are going to be a 10-3 and three basketball team or kind of play at that pace, they need Mike Conley to be uh, a, a three-point shot maker too. And, and you know, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, he's he's in a little bit of a slump right now. The shooting reminds me very much of his first season here with the Jazz in which everyone was kind of like, wait a minute, what happened to Mike Conley, the, the fringe all-star? Um, where he just, you know, was having such trouble kind of fitting in. I don't think, obviously that's not the case here, but yeah, I mean, you can't deny that the shooting numbers have been poor, right? Like of the 14 games that he's played in, I'm, I'm looking at his stats, of the 14 games he's played in, he's only been at or above 50% shooting in five of them, which, okay, he's a six-foot guard, so perhaps not that shocking, but I mean, he's sub 40% on the season, um, which is not great. He has how many games? One, two, three, four, five games scoring in single scoring in single digits this year, which again, not great. And yet, 
Um, in spite of that, it wasn't until this recent road trip that he really, you know, was was kind of a negative on the court. Before, you know, he was he was a minus eleven in Atlanta, minus twenty one against the Wizards, minus thirteen against the Sixers. Prior to that, he only had one game this year where he was a negative on the court, and that was in the New Orleans game where he was a minus thirteen. Every other game he'd been, you know, he'd had a really good impact, and we saw the playmaking, you know, be a really good reason for that. But um, yeah, it is cool that like here we are in year sixteen, and you know he's he's one of the top five or ten assist guys in the league, um, and yet it's not going to be as meaningful if he's not a dual threat, you know, to if. At some point, opponents are just going to start, you know, playing the passing lanes on him far more than what they are right now if they don't believe he's a viable shooting threat. I don't know that you're ever going to see, like, teams just leave him open because yeah. um, he remains, like, a, a quality three-point shooter. Uh, just he's he's been terrible everywhere else. So it is a little weird that, like, his floater has completely deserted him. You know, the shooting at the rim – as you've mentioned before, really not surprising that he's not efficient there, especially, you know, unless he's got like an uncontested layup or whatever. If, if there's any kind of contest there at all, he's probably not going to make it. But we expected him to be better in the mid-range just because he has always had that option. And so to see that not working at all is a little bit disconcerting. Yeah, you know, look, on Mike Conley, I, I, I think essentially he – you know, it, it, this is what happens with 35-year-olds. There are going to be stretches of inconsistency. Um, it's just what happens with three-point shooting, too. Sometimes guys miss threes. I, I, You know, ultimately, this team, though, I think is only about as good as Mike Conley can be. And if Mike Conley is really good and as good as he was in the first 13 games, then I think we see, uh, you know, the Jazz continue to play at a really, really high level. If he's, you know, not as as mobile if he's not as good of a shooter if he's not as much of a threat um then it becomes a lot easier to defend and all of a sudden you're asking a lot of jordan clarkson uh colin sexton lowry markinen to to do uh, a lot of kind of more individual stuff and because so much of the jazz's most efficient offensive possessions have come from mike conley setting them up so uh that's kind of what i'm interested to see is you know yeah where we are in the trend, whether we can get 82 really solid games out of Mike Conley, or even, you know, 70 to 75, depending on how much the Jazz want to rest him. But I do think, again, something to, to, to worth watching over the course of the rest of the year. Finally, yeah, the last it, is, it, is worth, it is worth pointing out that, like, he remains really the only, uh, quote-unquote, point guard on this roster that I have, like, any consistent faith in to run the team. Like, I know that THT just had, you know, a, a double-double with assists, and he's had, like, a stretch where he's improved slightly and the decision-making's been a little better. But generally, I don't have a ton of faith in that yet until we see a longer stretch of him continuing to make better decisions. I don't know that we're ever going to see that out of Colin Sexton on a consistent basis. Uh, clearly, Nikhil Alexander-Walker remains um, an end-of-bench you know, kind of uh, throw in only in case of like nothing else at all is working type of guy. So Mike Conley, in, in spite of the shooting woes, you know, remains pretty effective at running a team. And um, uh, 
when you know if he if he's not playing well or if he's not playing uh i expect this team to like suffer significantly as a result yeah um let's go into colin sexton and then i actually do want to mention tht really quick but uh colin sexton uh is is has been part of some of the Jazz's best stretches of these games. I mean, the I, I think you can really credit him with, um, you know, taking over in the fourth quarter of that Lakers game in a significant way. Um, I, I think you can – did not have a good night in Atlanta, but then played really well in Washington and kind of was the Jazz's best threat there. Um, interestingly, as like a there was this heckling fan who just kind of picked on Colin – and then Colin came into the game and immediately just was on fire, which was kind of fun from a, a live perspective. Um, and then, you know, has this game against Philadelphia where he scores 15 points on 15 shots. And that's kind of the downside of the uh, the Colin Sexton experience. He got blocked five different times by uh, Sixers defenders at the rim. So, uh, you know, again, this is where I want to say, like, he's 23. We're seeing such good things. We're also seeing such... Uh, limitations and again it's it's another one of those situations where you actually do have you have a four-year window on Colin Sexton but you do want to see improvement over the course of that four-year contract because uh again you're trying to determine who's going to be the point guard of the future Mike Conley's 35 it's not going to be him so is it going to be Colin Sexton can he actually play point guard moving forward you know will we see significant development from him on that or you know if not then you know he's maybe too small to be a starting two guard in the NBA and, and, you know, you're really kind of looking at him as a six man kind of type. And I think that is probably the most realistic answer, honestly. Okay. Yeah. 15 game sample size is, is not a ton. And, um, you know, especially with him being pretty limited early in the season, you know, how much of that is, as Will Hardy has said, you know, bringing him along slowly due to the surgery from a year ago. I don't know. Um, honestly, from having watched him this year, I feel like he's best kind of suited to the role that they had Jordan Clarkson playing years previous, you know? Um, I'm not saying they can't teach him to be a better distributor or initiator. I mean, we're seeing Jordan Clarkson, for instance, put up, you know, career numbers in, in passing <laughs> this year right. uh, in putting an actual effort into being a distributor. You know, it was, it was, incredible hearing jordan say last week you know asking at what point in your career did did you become consistent in making the easy play and he was saying uh this year you know like we're well into the jordan clarkson career at this point and so for him to say it wasn't until this year that he got good at like making plays for others because up until now he was just only a gun as he right. put it you know that's incredible. So I'm not saying it can't happen with Colin Sexton, but I'm saying at least as of right now, he's probably best equipped to be that, you know, a uh, gunner off the bench, a guy coming in, changing the pace, speeding the game up, trying to get to the rim. Although, you know, as you mentioned, not having a ton of success at it against the Sixers. Um, I think we can see him be a better three-point shooter, uh, he's had some games where he's had, you know, some success there. I think as of right now, you know, he probably the guy he he, he reminds me of, you know, at his peak is is a Lou Williams type. Yeah. So um, I think ideally the Jazz would like to see more of him. I think when they gave him that contract, they probably were expecting to see more of him. 
Um, at this point, I don't know that we have seen more of him. Yeah, you know, it's it's he. I think he's played well, and you know, again, it's just kind of in spurts, and it's just kind of having the responsibility of making the right pass at the right time. You hope that it's not thirty like Jordan Clarkson is by the time he figures out how to pass, but maybe having Jordan uh, be a mentor there and and show him what he can be as a passer uh, can can help him develop more quickly. I do want to quickly mention Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, it's kind of maybe the opposite of that. He's a guy who has 20 assists in the last three games. He didn't have 20 assists in his first 12 games. So uh, this is pretty impressive. And, and it's interesting I heard, hearing uh, the coaching staff and, and players start to talk to him, talk about him as more of a point guard. You know, they're they're starting to put Sexton with Mike Conley so that Taylor Horton Tucker has the ball in his hands more often. And we're seeing it, again, with those 20 assists in the last three games. Um, the key there, I think, for him is that he's making decisions earlier. He's not getting into the paint. He's taking one or two steps on drives and then finding guys. Um, and I think that's been really effective. And you know, so and and as a result, the Jazz have been uh, plus nineteen, plus seventeen, plus thirteen, and plus ten in in his last four games. And kind of lim- in those limited fifteen to twenty minutes, even when the Jazz have lost games, he's been kind of the leader of the best time on that the Jazz have had on the court. Yeah, I mean, it has been an interesting experiment seeing Will Hardy basically throw him out there as the de facto backup point guard um, just because, you know, it was either going to be him or Colin Sexton. He clearly is kind of deploying Colin a little more in that old Jordan Clarkson type role and, and probably for the better because of the two of them, I don't know that I want to leave THT to his own devices in terms of like go out there and and be you know the change of pace guy like clearly like he's got some idiosyncrasies to his game where um he can throw a defense off balance with with some of his moves but that's also where we see him get in the most trouble you know where like yeah every once in a while he's gonna he's gonna like wow the fans with this crazy contortionist layup that goes in um there are going to be three other times where he winds up missing a shot or committing a turnover as a result of that. So, yeah, to see him kind of like finally sort of slow things down, be a little more patient with his reads, not be like so all or nothing in, in terms of putting his head down and driving into the lane, you know, yeah, it, it, it's been good to see the progress there. And I don't know what flipped the switch for him or if this is just like a random, you know, stretch where it's happened i'd like to think it's not um but if he can continue this kind of play then you can see the value um is an interesting guy right for all those people who claimed that the jazz never intended to tank they haven't been able to answer me why then did they trade patrick beverly for taylor horton tucker right yeah that I to mean, me was the move that that, that indicated that there was that plan there to to you know try and try and assemble talent for the future uh now we're finally kind of seeing you know tht kind of make that move pay off a bit yeah i think maybe the like non-tanking explanation for that is even you know even when you're trying to get good it still makes sense to old to to trade old talent for young talent right like in the same way that it made sense to trade joe ingles from Nikhil alexander walker even though uh Nikhil hasn't turned out the way that the jazz thought he would but like yeah, that being said, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I think the Jazz were trying to tank. But 
Um, or at least Danny Ainge was. Obviously, the players and coaches have not, and I do think, uh, you know, Danny Ainge says, like, he's been pleasantly surprised and says he wasn't trying. Okay, look, I don't think that they were trying to lose as many games as possible. I think they wanted to be, uh, you know, they weren't as interested in winning in the short term as they were in the long term, which I think is, uh, you know, again, what Taylor Horton Tucker represents. Yeah, it was a soft tank. We'll call it that. Sure. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I, that was a fun. Yeah. That was a fun discussion. I thought that was interesting. Um, Eric, what do you do? You have anything going on this week, or anything that you were excited about for uh, that you'd like to tell jazz fans? I do have a couple things going on, but I need to make sure that I Ooh. get a couple of interviews that I have lined up actually to happen. Secret so I don't want to. I don't want to tease it just in case like something falls through, but. Um, if these do line up, I, th- I think jazz fans are going to have a couple of interesting features to read from me um, within the coming week or so. I like it. And I also know that we've got a Black Friday sale coming up around Thanksgiving time. So watch for that as well at, at sltrib.com. But for now, Andy Larson, Eric Walden signing out of the How About This Jazz podcast. See you guys. Bye.